The study of environmental health, the study of planetary health, as we like to call it now, is really the, the, the study of health in its largest context, the planet. If the planet is not healthy, neither are we. The world has been talking about the global climate crisis in different ways over the last few years. We talk about it in terms of how it affects hurricanes and wildfires and floods. Well, today, we're going to talk about how it can affect pandemics. My colleague, CNN chief climate correspondent Bill Weir, talks to Alexander Moore. He's an assistant research professor at the Climate Change Institute at the University of Maine. He's also a history research associate at Harvard. Recently, he and his colleagues came out with a study about how a six-year climate anomaly, which brought on cold, wet weather, could have worsened the 1918 pandemic. In this episode, we go back 100 years in history to talk about that prolonged cold spell and what that might mean for us as we head into the winter season of COVID-19. I'm Dr. Sanjay Gupta, CNN's chief medical correspondent, and this is Coronavirus, Fact versus Fiction. All right, Alex, thank you again so much for your time on this. Uh, And as fascinating work you've done that we want to dig into and try to modernize for our current pandemic times. Tell us about your work, what you do for a living. I work on the impact of climate change on people's health and the economy. Uh, So I basically look at how we're messing up the world with our pollution and our uh, global warming and how that changes our health and our economy. No greater, sort of more vivid, in-our-face lesson right now than COVID-19, it feels like. It's it's laying bare all of the big gaps in society, in our health systems, in our quality. But what's interesting is you took a look at the flu of 100 years ago and the weather around it. You found an actual pattern of climate change that might have influenced. Tell us about that work. So we found a climate anomaly that lasted about six years from 1914 to 1920 and which brought cold, wet air over Europe for an extended period of time. And actually, we get cold, wet air over Europe all the time. Uh, But the problem here was that it lasted six years and it lingered over Europe. It just stayed. And my colleague, Paul Majewski at the Climate Change Institute, ascribes this to all the dust and that explosions caused to rise into the air. And the dust uh, not only obscures uh, the sun, uh, but it also uh, creates nucleation. So it, the little particles basically make rain happen more easily. We haven't proven that that's the case, but we've certainly proven that there was a six-year uh, anomaly uh, and that's so stark. And uh, one of the figures on in our article is this big oval blob, a uh, purple oval blob over Europe that just stays there and particularly stayed there for uh, the 1918 uh, second wave of this flu pandemic, which was the most uh, lethal uh, in Europe. In fact, the first wave was considered uh, uh, rather, the word they use is benign. But the second wave was so lethal that it really changed the, the, the world. It changed so many people died because of the war and because of the pandemic that people's relationship to death and loss changed forever. Imagine, you know, uh, what we're going through right now, Uh, not unlike it, except that at that time, one third of the population of the world was infected, you know, 500 million people. Uh, Today, that would look like uh, around two and a half billion people. 
Take us back, though, to 1918. Um, what was it about that cold weather, that cold, wet weather, that amplified the flu of 100 years ago? The flu is a, an influenza pandemic. The main place where it, it lives, let's say it survives, is birds. So uh, certainly the, in the weather patterns, the climate patterns, rather, uh, that we saw during the World War I, they certainly affected the birds. And we don't yet know exactly how, because that is the big problem of environmental health. We can't have a tiny little bird cam attached to each bird to figure out what's going on. You know how these animals live, and you know how they're affected by climate. And you know that when climate affects your behavior, uh, you put a coat on or don't you? Do you uh, go to the beach or don't you? Do you stand close to other people or don't you? Uh, that's what climate does to you every morning. Well, you know what? Birds and uh, ticks and rats and fleas do exactly the same thing, and their behaviors change too. Uh, except that we don't know about it because we don't see it. I've been preaching this gospel for a while, this idea that we live in an age now politically where people see climate as a menu item, uh, you know, just one item on a menu of voter issues without realizing it's really the whole restaurant, everything else on the menu from public health to income equality to foreign policy to security depends on the big one, climate. And so what your work sort of shows us is those connections, the idea that man-made activity, war, would kick up enough dust and smoke to change the weather, which then altered the, the migration pattern of ducks, which were carrying the flu, which made people sicker because it was wetter and colder, like it's all connected. Is that what you've come away with? Yes. We have uh, facts that we are absolutely sure about. There was a six-year climate anomaly. It affected people. You know, if you look at the second wave, you look at the, there's a double peak October, November, December, a double peak there, and you see the precipitation double double peak, just like the mortality double peak. These are facts. We know this. People died more. It was wetter. It was colder. It was so cold sometimes that it, the cold actually reached uh, Gallipoli in Turkey, and which has a Mediterranean weather. I mean, it was an enormous climate anomaly. And as you said, you know, we really uh, don't look at that. But in fact, it conditioned the entire war. It, it set the entire war, just like climate change is setting our, our lives in motion every day in different ways. It's affecting them. Just about process. How did you find this out? I was reading you use, use lasers to take it, the ice down to the almost the month level. Our team retrieved a, an ice core. Uh, which is a big cylinder of ice out of a, a glacier in the middle of uh, Europe. If you really want to know what was going on in the atmosphere for a period of time, ice cores are going to tell you. But most ice cores come from places where nobody lives. Greenland, you know, very few people in Greenland. Antarctica, this particular ice core comes from, you know, uh, very close to Paris, very close to Rome, relatively uh, only hundreds of miles. So it really picks up all the pollution. It picks up all the what, whatever is in the air at any given time. It, you know, that air uh, falls to the ground with snow or rain and, and gets frozen in time, just like uh, the Jurassic Park uh, mosquito. Uh, imagine that. Instead of uh, getting the, the dinosaur DNA, we get the, uh, the, the atmosphere DNA <laughs> from the air uh, from any given time. Tell me about what you think your work 
What does it inform us? How does it inform us as we head into the winter season of COVID-19? Instead of thinking of cold and warm, let's think about climate change as instability. I don't think anybody you ask, uh, anybody who's sane, would say that they like instability. Our instability causes unpredictable things to happen. That's what we can expect. If we have climate change, which changes the way that animals move and people move and people behave, and with people and animals come their diseases, then the, the question to ask is, how can this go wrong? What does that instability make us do? A pandemic office like President Obama had uh, would be a great step because all of those people are trained in exactly this. And they can tell you, okay, we can expect this to happen. People to huddle together more uh, as September, October, November come come and temperatures drop. Uh, What will humidity do? Test that out. Uh, can droplets from humidity uh, uh, transfer the, the disease to, from one person to another? Does increased humidity really affect? There, there is still no consensus on whether humidity really helps or hurts uh, coronavirus. I mean, a lot of times the prescriptions really apply to both maladies, but with climate and pandemics, leave rainforests alone, which hold a lot of these novel viruses, which also benefits the planet at the same time. Do you see that the behavior shifts that have happened just in this pandemic, mask wearing, social distancing, uh, does that give you hope that humanity can change its ways fast enough? I don't like the word hope. Hope is not a plan. uh, And panic is not a plan either. I like people who act. uh, And uh, I like people who listen to other people who actually have the uh, have, have been experiencing the problem and we don't do enough listening. So I think that if there is one encouraging thing about mask wearing, for example, uh, is that uh, in the space of a few months, we have in fact converted the, you know, the entire world to being very cautious. Uh, so if we can do that about breathing, which everybody has to do, can we do that about, let's say, not killing animals uh, that could carry uh, diseases? Can we uh, ban wildlife trade worldwide? That is probably one of the single most important, most consequential things we can do. If we ban wildlife trade worldwide, we can, in fact, reduce enormously our risk of another pandemic like this. If we think that all of these things are not going to affect us, uh, if we think that our population, human population, is not going to affect us, we're sorely mistaken. The best thing we can do is take care of nature, and nature will take care of us. That was my colleague Bill Weir and Alexander Moore. If you have questions, please record them as a voice memo and email them to asksanjay at cnn.com. We might even include them on the next podcast. We'll be back tomorrow. Thanks for listening.